Okay, that's where we are. We were looking at the ligaments that were associated with the foot. We looked at the talus on top of the calcaneus. Identified the subtalar joint as the, joint, the back joint here between the talus sitting on top of the calcaneus. And in fact, there is a ligament, an interosseous ligament, that will run from the, the calcaneus up to the talus bone in this little groove here. Then the talus will make a forward articulation with the calcaneus, we mentioned that then go beyond the support of the calcaneus and make an articulation with the navicular bone here. And so all of this would be classified as the talo-calcaneo-navicular joint. That would be all of this. Then we had the calcaneus coming forward and articulating with the cuboid and the articulation of the talus-navicular component here plus the calcaneus and the cuboid here gave us the transverse tarsal joint. And we had inversion and eversion of the ankle occurring at a combination of this subtalar joint back here and the transverse tarsal joint movements of taking the sole of the foot inward and outward, inversion and eversion occurring at that, at that spot. So we looked at that. Okay, that's one spot we were in. We took a look at that. Uh, some other ligaments to take a look at. Very strong attachments. Uh, once again, we did look at this one before. We called it the spring ligament the plantar calcaneo-navicular. We, we looked at this a little bit. Came from the sustentaculum talli forward over to the navicular bone. It was called the plantar calcaneo-navicular or spring ligament. It's, you can see how it's going to give support to the head of the talus. The talus is going to come forward and articulate with the navicular, but it's going to come so far forward that it'll go beyond the support of the, the calcaneus bone. And so we need this uh, spring ligament here to help give support for the head of the talus. Then over on the lateral side, fairly strong ligaments running from the calcaneus to the cuboid. That would be one part of the bifurcate ligament. And from the calcaneus forward over here to the navicular, that would be the other part of the bifurcate ligament. So it's a ligament that has two parts to it. One from the calcaneus down to the cuboid making a very strong attachment there. And one from the calcaneus forward over to the navicular making a very strong attachment at that spot as well those referred to as the bifurcate ligament. And we'll come back and take a look at the other one in the little package. It's one that's going to come from the cuboid over to the navicular. It's almost going to complete this triangular spot so that the cuboid is going to be very strongly attached with an interosseous ligament to the navicular bone here. So we have the calcaneus to the cu cuboid, we have the calcaneus to the navicular, and we have the cuboid to the navicular very strongly attached. You can see that's going to help to reinforce all this area here. From the, from the uh, cuboid over to the navicular, an interosseous one coming this way, and from the calcaneus to the cuboid would be from here to here, one part of the bifurcate, and from the calcaneus over here would be the other part of the bifurcate, and it's going to link these bones together very tightly um, in that 
because we're making this transverse tarsal joint here, we have to have these bones fairly well uh, knit together by interosseous ligaments that are going to attach them. So the bifurcate ligament was down here. Two limbs, one to the cuboid and one over to the navicular. Okay. Then if we flip the foot upside down, we're looking at the plantar surface of the foot here. We're ending up with two plantar ligaments. The long plantar is the more superficial of the two. It's going to come from the calcaneus. You can see it come forward this way, attach itself to the base of the metatarsals. Not the metatarsal of your big toe, but the other four metatarsals. That would be the long plantar ligament. You can see how that's going to help reinforce that longitudinal arch that will go from the front to the back of the foot. It's going to help support that a little bit. And then underneath it, oh, and the other thing is that the long plantar ligament will now create a little bit of a tunnel for the tendon of the peroneus longus. Here's the peroneus longus coming around this way. It's going to run in a groove on the bottom side of the cuboid bone. And then we had the uh, peroneus longus coming and attaching over here to the uh, attachment, uh, quite similar to the attachment of the tibialis anterior, would be to the base of the metatarsal of your big toe and to the medial cuneiform bone here. So this would be the attachment of the peroneus longus. Runs in a little groove on the cuboid bone, but that groove will now be kind of covered over by that long plantar ligament coming that way. Underneath it, the short. Once again, still coming from the calcaneus and then over to the cuboid bone. And once again, you can see how that's going to help to maintain that longitudinal arch of the foot, the one that goes from the front to the back. And here we have the, the look at the spring ligament again. Plantar calcaneo navicular here from the underside. And there's a peroneus longus, a fibularis longus tendon coming around this way. Um, we've removed the long plantar ligament in that fashion. Okay. And then as we mentioned before, the transverse tarsal joint made up of the combination of the talus coming forward and, art and articulating with the navicular. So that would be the talonavicular part of the talocalcaneal navicular joint. And then the calcaneus coming forward and articulating with the cuboid coming across this way. And at both the subtalar joint and the transverse tarsal joint is where we'll get inversion and eversion of the ankle. At the talocruel joint, that would be the uh, pocket created by the medial lateral malleoli and the talus bone. That's where we'll get plantar flexing and dorsiflexing of the ankle occurring at that spot. And as I mentioned, fairly strong attachment between the cuboid and the navicular. Had a hard time finding a picture of this, but I mentioned finally got one. Here's one of them. It's really it's got a lot of stuff on it that we don't need. But here's the bifurcate ligament that we mentioned before. From the calcaneus forward to the cuboid would be one limb. From the calcaneus forward this way to the navicular was the other limb. And this one here, from the from the cuboid to the navicular coming this way helps to create that pocket of linking those three bones together very tightly. So this would be then on the dorsal surface of the foot, on the top of the foot, this would be the link up between the cuboid bone and the navicular bone coming here. So that's our cubonavicular, very strong ligament that's going to attach the cuboid bone to the navicular bone coming across this way. Very strong interosseous ligament. Then you'll notice it says in the notes that on the, on the dorsal surface, that's the top of your foot, and on the plantar surface is the sole of the foot. We have a whole series of ligaments that are going to attach these, the bones together. 
They're going to attach the cuneiform bones together. They're going to attach the, um, the, the navicular bone to the talus. And eventually, they will, they will attach down here, across this way, they will attach the bases of the uh, metatarsals together. Same way we had in the, uh, in the hand, we had the metacarpals attached by interosseous ligaments that went across. For the most part, these ligaments are going to be fairly weak on the top and the bottom. Um, the strongest ones in the package that we're going to get will be these ones here helping to link the calcaneus and cuboid and navicular together, coming around this way. Okay. And between tarsal bones, you might get a little bit of gliding, but not much movement at all. Another look at that, uh, trying to draw that ligament in that's going to come from the cuboid over to the navicular. The bifurcate ligament here is shown as well, coming across this way, from the calcaneus to the navicular this way, from the calcaneus forward to the cuboid this way, helping to create that fairly strong attachment of those bones together. Now, when we take a look at the articulations, we have the big toe first metatarsal here will make an articulation in a capsule with the first cuneiform bone, coming around this way. The second metatarsal will fit in a little pocket created by the cuneiforms, coming around this way. The third metatarsal will make an articulation with the third cuneiform bone, or the most lateral cuneiform here, makes an attachment that way. That's not specifically mentioned in the notes. If you want to write it in, I think I missed the third cuneiform in its articulation uh, in the notes. So the first one I got, I know is in the notes. It, the first one, the big toe, articulates with the first cuneiform. The second one articulates with a little pocket created by the three cuneiforms. And the third one articulates with the third cuneiform. And that little piece of information is not in the notes as I remember it. So that's this one. And then the fourth and the fifth, your little toe and your fourth toe, are going to make an articulation with the cuboid bone over here. Sometimes you'll get uh, the fourth making also an articulation with the third cuneiform. Depends upon who you read and who you like. But I think in the notes it said the fourth and fifth articulate with the, cu with the cuboid. It's the third that I didn't put in the notes specifically. And it, it articulates with the third cuneiform. The second articulates with a little pocket created by the cuneiforms, and the first big toe one will articulate with the first cuneiform bone here, the most medial cuneiform. And once again, we're not going to get much movement at that joint between the metatarsal and the tarsal bones. If we move forward, we've got the articulation between the metatarsal and the first phalanx of each of your five toes, coming around this way, and you'll notice a couple of things quite similar to um, what we found in the hand, in that the, on the plantar surface, in the hand it would have been the palmar surface, there will be a thickening of the capsule. This, this time, because we're on the bottom surface of the foot, these will be referred to as plantar plates. Thickenings of the capsule here, you'll notice. In the hand, we had the palmar plates, same kind of idea. Uh, and you'll notice these, these joints here will be synovial. They'll have a fibrous capsule around them. 
They'll be reinforced on the medial side, reinforced on the lateral side. So we'll have medial and collateral ligaments associated with those joints. Same kind of deal we had. And you'll notice that we have a deep transverse ligament that will join the base, the uh, heads of the metatarsals, bases of the first phalanx. And this time we're going to include the big toe in the attachment, in the hand, obviously. We didn't have that thumb attached to the deep transverse in the hand. The thumb was allowed to move freely. In the, this case with the foot, the big toe will be attached to that deep transverse ligament coming across, joining the um, heads of the metatarsals coming across this way. And also, you'll notice that that joint in the big toe, we had the two sesamoid bones here, the ball of your foot, and that would accept the pressure as we take a step, and that will then prevent or help to, help to prevent the compacting of the tendon of the flexor hallucis longus, which has to travel down to the end of your big toe. Gives us an opportunity to protect that tendon a little bit, that muscle. This joint, we will get flexing and extending, and this is the joint in all five toes where we would get adducting and abducting, squeezing your toes together, spreading your toes apart. And that occurs as well with the big toe. The big toe as well will, at this joint, will give you flexing and extending and adducting and abducting. This joint is um, designed so that you can move this way, flex and extend, right? And you can go this way, you can abduct and adduct that joint. And it's reinforced by these plantar plates coming across this way. And the same kind of organization that we had in the hand, you'll notice that the lumbrical muscles on the plantar surface of the foot are going to go on the plantar surface of the transverse, deep transverse ligament, and come around to the top of the foot and attach into the dorsal expansion. And you'll notice all the interossei muscles are going to travel on the dorsal surface. That is, they'll go under, they'll go from here They'll run on the dorsal surface of the transverse ligament, that would be, if you're looking at it, the top of your foot, and it once again attach into the dorsal expansion on the tops of each of the four toes, of the five toes, actually. Your, your big toe has a, somewhat of an expansion to it as well. Then if we keep going forward, we have, once again, the little toe, second, uh, fourth, third, and second, we'll have three phalange each. Big toe only has two, same as your thumb. Same kind of idea here, reinforcing on the plantar surface will give us those small plantar plates. Once again, the joints will be synovial. They'll be covered with a fibrous capsule. Capsule will be reinforced on the medial and lateral sides. Medial and collateral ligaments of the joints, same kind of idea that we had in the hand. And at the uh, two interphalangeal joints of those four toes and the one interphalangeal joint of your big toe, we will get flexing and extending. The design of the articulation between the um, interphalangeal joints is slightly different than the articulation between the metatarsal phalangeal joint. This one will allow for movement of flexing and extending plus adducting and abducting. Flexing and extending is only going to occur at the two interphalangeal joints of your four toes and the one interphalangeal joint of your big toe. We don't get the side-to-side -side movement at those joints, right? And once again, you're still going to end up with the fibrous capsule around and thickenings on the medial side and the lateral side to give you medial and lateral collateral ligaments of that joint.
there's a look at the design of the attachments. Fairly similar to what we had in the in the uh, in the hand. Few differences, of course. The deep transverse ligament coming across and joining your big toe with the hand. The thumb wasn't joined. Like that. All right. uh, it's not in the book, so don't worry about it. I'll never ask you about it. But it's just for your own information. We mentioned the things about the the arches of the foot. We mentioned that on the medial side we have a fairly prominent longitudinal arch, front to back. On the lateral side, far another arch a lot shallower than on the medial side, and then a transverse arch, one that's going across from side to side. And uh, once again, don't worry about the content of it. It's just a kind of a neat, uh, this particular slide I picked up was kind of a neat summary of what goes together to help reinforce the arches of the foot. And the first thing they're looking at is the way that the our bones articulate with each other and how the cuneiform bones articulate in this and help to accentuate that transverse arch of the foot coming around this way. And at the head of the talus here, you'll notice the head of the talus is not supported by bone. It's gone beyond the support of the calcaneus. So we had that plantar calcaneonavicular ligament coming here, the spring ligament. It came across here and helped to support the head of the talus. And that's going to help to give us a, a, the idea of, uh, on the medial side anyway, a component to that longitudinal arch going front to back. So we have then the kind of the idea of the, the bones, the tarsal bones. And then once again, if we looked at that plantar surface of the foot mentioned as we looked at it a little bit earlier today, the long and the short plantar ligaments coming across, particularly the long plantar coming from the calcaneus forward, then articulating and attaching to the heads of, sorry, the bases of the metatarsals. You can see how that's going to help maintain the longitudinal arch of the foot from front to back coming across that way. Uh, then the flexor hallucis longus, that large, very powerful muscle coming across the plantar surface of the foot to the end of your big toe. Once again, you can see how that would act as a tie beam, if you like, or a, a support to help to maintain the longitudinal arch of the foot from front to back. And then kind of almost through suspension, the um, tendons of the tibialis anterior, tibialis posterior, and the peroneal muscles coming around and the medial and lateral malleoli, how they're going to kind of lift up and help to give, once again, that longitudinal arch some support coming across this way. So a number of things when they're put together, the way the bones articulate, the way the ligaments attach, and the muscles traveling across the plantar surface of the foot here, and even the tibialis anterior kind of, you can see how it will kind of lift up on the, lift up on the dorsal surface of the foot to help to maintain that longitudinal arch from front to back. So they all go together to help maintain the, the arch that way. And there's all not even included in here would have been the um, plantar aponeurosis from the calcaneus bone forward would also help to maintain that longitudinal arch as well. Once again, it's not noted in the notes, so don't worry about it. I won't ask the questions. But it was just there kind of because we did talk about the arches of the foot, and uh, it kind of summarizes it a little bit here. Lymphatics on the uh, lower extremity, I've tried to, all I've done is included one simple little picture. Um, and uh, what we're looking at, and I, I don't have a, a, a dock feet, a projector in this room, so, and I didn't scan the thing in, the picture that you've got in your book. But here's one that's somewhat similar. 
in, in the picture that you've got in your book, you'll notice that up at the top here, here's the inguinal ligament coming across this way. We're going to look at lymphatic drainage at two levels, a superficial level and a deep level. The deep level would follow the deep veins of the lower extremity. The superficial level of lymphatic drainage would follow the two superficial veins, the great saphenous and the small saphenous or short. So in here, we're looking at the sup superficial lymph nodes here. One that's the proximal limb that kind of parallels the inguinal ligament, comes across this way. Once again, that would be just underneath the skin. And then a distal one here that's going to parallel or run about the same direction as the great saphenous vein. So the proximal and the distal ones noted in, your, in the picture, those are both superficial. They're underneath the skin. And what we're going to end up with is lymphatic drainage that will follow the great and short, the, the great saphenous and the small saphenous. If we follow the lymphatic drainage from along the same lines as the small saphenous or lesser, it will go approximately to the back of the knee and dump into a couple of lymph nodes back here in the popliteal region. So you notice that in the notes, what I've tried to do is I've tried to show both in my little picture. I've tried to show the deep and the superficial. The superficial ones in the picture are the smaller little dots, and the deep ones are the darker, slightly larger dots. That's what that represents. And you notice that on my picture, coming up the lateral side of the leg and coming to about the level of the popliteal region and emptying into the popliteal nodes here, and of course, those popliteal nodes would be associated with the deep veins and the deep lymphatic drainage at the back of the knee. And then the great saphenous we had coming up the medial side, great saphenous will get to the, just below the inguinal ligament. And once again, the lymphatic drainage following along the great saphenous vein would empty into these superficial uh, lymph nodes located up here. And then you'll notice on the picture that we have a series of deep lymph nodes. Now, the deep lymph nodes are going to be associated with the deep veins in the region. And if you go back and take a look, we, we put this picture up before. We took a look at this region here. We took a look at the inguinal ligament coming across this way. We had the femoral vein and the femoral artery, and we had them incorporated into a, a sheath, femoral sheath. And then just medial to that, we had a little bit of a space, femoral canal. And in that space, we were going to end up with deep lymph nodes. So these green blobs here represent the deep lymph nodes located in that region. So then the lymph that would come and be drained through those superficial nodes, the proximal and the distal, would then then drain their lymph into the deep nodes. And then from the deep nodes, we'd then go back underneath the inguinal ligament back into the abdominal region. Okay. Now, the one thing that when you look at the picture and it's going to, it might be a little confusing the picture look like okay you see where it says up at the very top where it says afferent okay afferents drain into efferents leave so afferent vessels drain into lymph nodes so what those dotted lines are saying up there at the very top um, right hand part of the picture those represent the drainage of superficial lymph back down into the superficial nodes of the proximal and the distal limbs. Once the lymph goes through those superficial nodes, it would then drain through the deep set of nodes. And from the deep set of nodes, 
then the lymph would then travel back up underneath into the abdominal region and, and keep coming up. So eventually empty into some, the, um, the thoracic duct, which is in the major lymph vessel found in the abdominal region. So those are afferent. That means they're, they're superficial, they're subcutaneous, and they're draining back into the superficial set of nodes that we had around the inguinal ligament. But from there, those superficial nodes would send efferents to the deep, and then the deep would then send efferents up into the abdominal region, and we eventually then drain the lymph. So we end up with two levels, a superficial and a deep. The superficial follow the major superficial veins, the great saphenous and small, and the deep set follow the deep veins. Normally, lymph lymphatic vessels follow veins. The deep one would follow the deep veins, and they would empty into the deep set of nodes. The superficial ones, obviously, would follow and empty into the superficial set of nodes. Afferents always lead back into the nodes. Efferents always take it away from the nodes. Sure. That's what that picture represents. And that would be about to the level that we would ask, I would ask a question. To have a look at it. We did pick this one up, the deep in, uh, lymph, inguinal lo nodes located in that, in that femoral canal, which is a little pocket formed by that, the femoral sheath, just a little bit medial to where the femoral vein was located. Mm -hmm. And that's another picture looking at fundamentally the same thing. Two sets of influence, superficial and deep. And there's another look. You see the superficial nodes paralleling the inguinal ligament, and then they have a distal one that kind of comes down and parallels the great saphenous vein. And then from there, the, from the deep nodes, they would go underneath the inguinal ligament and then track this way on either side back up into the abdominal region. Once again, go through a series of lymph nodes located in the abdomen to be fur further filtered. That lymph would be further, fil further filtered. Over on this side, we had the deep ones coming this way. Questions? None? I think we're done. <laughs>